Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 8 this morning. Jeremiah, chapter number 8. And I want to preach a message that may seem a bit depressing at first. But you know, the sinner's got to get to the place where he's a little depressed before he'll seek the Savior. Don't you believe that this morning? He's got to get to the place where he sees his need of Calvary before he'll ever come to Calvary. And I think in Jeremiah chapter 8, we have one of the most tragic verses in all the Word of God. I'm just going to be read one verse this morning by way of introduction, and then we'll pray. Verse number 20 in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 8. The Bible says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I want to read that again. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that we had at camp. I thank you for the souls that were saved. But Lord, help us this morning to realize that we're not at camp this morning and our business to do with you is here. Lord, I pray that we'd realize that the God that can speak to hearts, Lord, at Big Ridge State Park can speak to hearts, at Wall Ridge Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you would do in hearts what only you can do. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Christ, I pray that this morning they'd see the the death of Christ on Calvary through the words that are preached, Lord. They'd see that their sin debt is paid. They'd see that the way is made. They'd see that they may be redeemed this morning. And, Father, that you draw them unto yourself. If there's one that's backslidden, pray that you'd convict them and draw them closer to you. One that's discouraged, you'd uplift them. Lord, you know the heart's need. So, God, we commit it unto you and the Holy Spirit of God to do the work in hearts that needs to be done. We love you, Lord. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Boy, what a dismal verse when you first read it. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I'd like to ask you a question this morning. Do you believe it can ever be too late? You might say, preacher, I don't believe it can ever be too late. There's a whole hell full of people that disagree with you. The truth of the matter is we take time for granted. You say, preacher, are you preaching to lost people today? I'm preaching to any that'll hear this morning. Because I believe that it goes both for the lost man without Christ, but I believe it goes for the saved person outside of the will of God, that there comes a point in our life when we just run out of time. The truth of the matter is Jesus is coming soon. If we're going to do anything for Him, we better get started. Christ could come at any moment. I believe He's coming soon. I believe He's coming soon. And so if we're going to do anything for Jesus Christ, I'm talking about those of us that are saved and bought by the blood of Christ and washed in His blood. If we're going to get busy for God, we better do it right now. We don't know how much time we've got. If I'll just give you a little historical context to this passage, as Jeremiah, through the Holy Spirit, records the words of God here, we find that the nation of Israel has been under siege from Nebuchadnezzar. And they are holed up in Jerusalem. And the battle is just outside the gates of their city. The war horses, they can hear them snorting. They can hear the clang of the swords and the shields. They can hear the commands of the generals as they uh, yell forth the instructions to the soldiers. And the battle is just outside the gates. And we find that the verse records for us a word of hopelessness that's given by the children of Israel. They look around themselves and what they're doing is coming to terms with the fact that they've waited too long. They say the harvest is past. You say, that don't mean anything to me, preacher. If you hold up in a city with nothing to eat, it means something to you. 
The harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. You say, preachers don't have anything to do with me this morning. Do you know that we are in a lot the same situation today? Both the church and the lost individual. Listen to me this morning. If you're here without Christ this morning, can I tell you that the devil wants to keep you unsaved and he'd like to see you in hell. You say he wants another servant for his kingdom. No, he wants another companion in misery. He don't run hell. The Bible says that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. He ain't no more a king there than he is a king here. He's a usurper and a thief and a murderer. And that's what he's always been. And when he dies and goes to hell, he's going as an occupant. He's not going as a king. He's going as a king. Or not going as a king. And he's not interested. Listen to me. He's not interested in you getting saved this morning. He's interested in trying to keep you from getting saved this morning. He, they're right outside the city gates. Do you get what I'm saying this morning? There's a very real and a very literal danger of you dying and going to hell if you've never accepted Christ. This morning, the devil would love nothing more than to send you to hell. The devil would love nothing more. And you say, preacher, how's he going to do that? Listen carefully. He ain't going to do it by storming the gate. He's going to do it by waiting you out. I've said it before. The devil doesn't send you to hell ten years at a time. He doesn't send you to hell 30 years at a time or 40 years or 50 years at a time. He don't send you to hell two weeks at a time. The devil sends you to hell one day at a time. He doesn't have to get you to put it off for 10 years. If he can just get you to put it off for another day and another day and another day. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this is siege warfare this morning. I'm saying that's the way the devil operates. If he can just keep you away from the help you need from God long enough, he knows he can get you. We find Nebuchadnezzar is standing outside the gates where his armies are. And they come to terms with the fact that they've waited too late. I want you to notice a couple things about this verse. I'm going to try to be quick this morning. I might keep that promise this morning. I know I lie about it every Sunday, but I might keep it this morning because I'm still pretty worn out. I want you to notice that the first thing we see is they come to terms with the fact that there is no hope from themselves. They say the harvest is past. You know why they were saying that? They were saying we've run out of all the food that we had. We've run out of anything that can help us. You know, that's when a sinner comes to the place where he actually can be saved, when he realizes he can't do a thing to save himself. I'll tell you why we got a lot of people that have made professions but do not know the true God of heaven is because they're, they're trying to help God get them to heaven. And when they came to the Lord, they weren't broken. When they came to God, they weren't at the end of themselves. When they came to God, they saw this salvation business as a cooperative thing till you see it as a totally God thing. You're never going to come to know the Savior. You may join a church, but you're not going to get saved until you realize it's God that's got to save you. You may make a profession. Everybody may clap and say, glory, hallelujah. They may dunk you in the water as many times as you want, but you're not going to get saved until you come to the place where you say the harvest is past. I can't save myself. The nation of Israel is saying we've run out of any hope that we had of providing for ourselves. We've run out of any chance we had of helping ourselves. Now, let me tell you something this morning. This goes for sinners and saints alike. There ain't a thing you can do to help yourself this morning. You're discouraged this morning. I'm talking to saved people right now. If you're discouraged this morning, you can't, you can't encourage yourself. You say, oh, but preacher David encouraged himself. Yeah, he did. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You can't, you can't strengthen yourself. we got a lot of Christians that are failures as Christians because they're trying to live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. And then they wonder why they're hot one day and cold the next. 
They wonder why they're living for God one day and laying there in the ash pile the next day. They wonder why it is. I'll tell you why. Because your flesh is inconsistent. Your flesh can't do it. As long as you're trying to live for Christ in the energy of your flesh, you're going to fail. And until you come to the place that you see yourself as bankrupt and as Christ is your sufficiency, until you come to the place where you realize, Preacher, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. There is no hope. My, my, my food stores are empty. My strength is gone. My medicine bag is clean empty. I can't do it. That's when you're about to get some help for the Lord. That's when you're about to hear from heaven. Until you get to the place where you quit trying to do it on your own and start yielding and submitting to the Holy Spirit and trusting in Christ to give you the help you need, you're not going to get the help you need. God's not, I know we're fellow laborers with God. I understand that this morning. And I understand that we have to do our part in the sense that we have to come to God, we have to read our Bible, we have to pray. But let me tell you something. When it comes to fixing our problems, it's not us that does it. It's not us that helps Him do it. It's not it's not us. Uh, all we can do is hope that he does it, pray that he does it, trust him, to do it, believe him, to do it, and then watch him do it. That's all we can do. We have to get to a place of hopelessness. They realize there's no help from from ourselves. Our food stores are gone. So the harvest is past. The summer is ended. They realize there is no hope in themselves, but they realize that there's no hope in others. You say, why do you believe that? Well, if you study the history, you'll find out that the nation of Israel had appealed to Egypt to come to their help and to their side. Well, I know today, you know, weather don't really bother us that much. I mean, there may be a few times that it just gets too bad weather for us to get out and go. Uh, but an army today, a state-of-the-art army, uh, the U.S. Army and some of the other first world nations, uh, there ain't nothing stops their army. I mean, it don't matter if it's snowing, sleeting, raining. I mean, they just go on. But in this time, springtime was wartime. And they go, they go out when the, when the frost began to uh, dissipate, when the snow began to melt, they began to ready their army to go, and they would war all through springtime and summer. And when it was fall time, it was time to start heading back. And you know what they're realizing? The summer is ended, and Egypt's not here. Do you know that the help you need, listen, if you're lost without Christ today, it's not just you can't save yourself, there's nobody can save you but Christ. Nobody. Nobody can save you but Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm saved, but I'm discouraged. God, uh, Thank the Lord for other Christians that can come along and do what they can to encourage us. But if we don't get the help from the Lord we need, we're not going to get it. There's only so much that another person can do. They can pray for you. They can read the Bible with you. They can give you uh, encouraging verses. They can pray with you. But at the end of the day, this is a you and God thing. Do you understand that this morning? It's a personal walk with Christ. We got a lot of people trying to walk with the Lord vicariously through other people. We got a lot of people that are trying to, instead of them walking the Lord, they're trying to get everybody else to walk the Lord for them. I thank the Lord for people in my life that prayed for me and still pray for me. I thank the Lord for people in my life that had an influence and still have an influence. But at the end of the day, if I don't have the relationship with Christ that I need to have in my daily walk, neighbor, I'm, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless. It's interesting that it was Egypt that they had appealed to. Egypt. Egypt was the place where they had become a people, a nation. They had been a family when they went in to Egypt. But when they come out, they are a nation. They no longer are a family in and of themselves anymore. Now they're a nation. So in a sense, we can almost say that the nation of Israel was born in Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Do you know that you go in the Word of God and you'll find that Egypt is always a picture of sin in the world? Do you know that you and me, neighbor, were born in sin? 
We didn't, I, I mean, I, I know, I know this goes contrary to, to, to all of the cults and about 90% of professing Christian denominations today. But do you know that you were not good when you were born? You were lost when you were born. You were born into sin. We're not waiting to get to heaven and stand at St. Peter's big scales and pile our good works on one side and our bad works on the other side. You're condemned because you believe not on the Son of God. That's why you're condemned this morning if you've not accepted Christ. Not because you're a drunkard. You may be a drunkard. I'm thankful the Lord saves drunkards. I'm thankful He saves drug addicts and prostitutes. I'm, I'm thankful, hey, this might ruffle somebody's feathers this morning, but I'm thankful He saves sodomites. Isn't that right? I'm thankful he can save them. But let me tell you something. I'm, I'm thankful he can save a 10-year-old boy that was on his way to the same devil's hell. I'm thankful that he can save a 10-year-old boy that was just as lost and undone as the worst man in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm thankful that he could convict me as a little child raised in a Christian home, raised in a Bible church, raised under the gospel, but lost without Christ and show me my need of a Savior. I'm thankful he can do that. I needed it done. I needed it done because I didn't know. I had been raised. Everybody told me what the gospel was. I knew the gospel. Nobody was there when I got saved. You know why? I knew the gospel. When the Holy Spirit of God made real to me that I was a lost sinner, that's all it took. That's all it took. He made known to me my lost state. And I needed to be saved. But do you know that born into sin, do you know that going back to the world, that's not where you're going to find your help? I want to be careful about what I say this morning because I don't... But you, you know, people say, Preacher, are you against psychiatrists? I think they get paid too much. <laughs> are you against people getting help from other people? People need to get all the help they can. Preacher, are you against people that taking, you know, taking medication? Most people I know need to be on more medication. <laughs> I'm not against that. What I'm saying this morning is you can go to Egypt for all the help you need, but if you don't get it from the Lord, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. You may get a Band-Aid. You may get a Band-Aid. You, you, you may be able to get to the point where you can sleep a little bit at night, but you're never going to have peace. You may get to the point where you don't want to take your life all the time, but you're never going to get joy. You may get the approval of this world, but you're never going to be saved by the grace of God until you come to Jesus Christ. You know what they came to the conclusion of? Egypt can't help us. And you know what? Egypt, Egypt might could have helped them, but you know what we find out? Egypt didn't show up. You think the world is interested in helping you? I've been preaching to young people all week, so you just forgive me if I preach to you like you're a bunch of young people. I think the world wants to help you. I think the world's interested in seeing you thrive for the glory of God. They're not interested in that. They could care less. They want to use and abuse you and toss you away, discard you. They're not interested in you. They don't care about you. They don't care whether you thrive. They don't care whether you have peace. They don't care whether you have joy. They don't care if you know true love. The world has no concern for you. Oh, but I'm thankful for a rugged cross that showed me love. And I'm thankful for God that cared enough about me to send His Son to die for me and to die for you too. Egypt ain't going to help you. The summer's ended. I, I kind of think as the days of August rolled along and they would watch all day, and look on the horizon for the help they needed. Every night they'd go discouraged and broken. And they'd say, it didn't come today. It didn't come today. You know, that's the story of a lot of sinners. Not all of them, but that's the story of a lot of sinners. You know, there's people in this world looking for the answer. Who's going to give it to them? Who's going to give it to them? 
It ought to be you and me, shouldn't it? And every day when they pillow their head at night in darkness and in depression, they think to themselves, help didn't come today. Help didn't. Egypt didn't show up today. Help didn't show up today. The world didn't come through today. They're just looking for some help. But I'd say that we see that there was no help from themselves, no help from them others. And I'd say that we see they finally came to the conclusion there is no help. We are not saved. I wish I could tell you that there ain't going to be a single person dying and go to hell, but I'd have to lie to you to tell you that. Our, one of our young preacher boys, not our young preacher boys from another church, but up at camp, young preacher boy was up preaching on Friday morning. And the Lord really used him in a big way. The altars were full and God got the glory. But he made a statement. I've heard it and I know you've heard it, but it thrilled my heart to hear a 12-year-old boy preaching and say this. He said, you know, we're all God's creations, but we are not all God's children. And the doctrine of universalism is as straight out of hell as the devil himself. The fact is, not everybody's going to go to heaven. In fact, we find, if we read the Word of God carefully, the Bible says, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be that go therein. Straight is the way that leadeth life everlasting. Few there be that find it. I hate to tell you this this morning, but there's more people dying and going to hell today than there is dying and going to heaven. Walk up and down the streets of this sin-sick and sin-cursed world and you'll see faces of men and women, boys and children on their way to hell. You'll see people that can't find help in themselves. They can't find help in the sinful world. And they don't know to look for help in the Savior. And you'll find people that are going to close their eyes in death. And the testimony of their life will be, we are not saved. I hate that this morning. But that's the truth. That's the truth. You say, preacher, what can I do about it? You can tell them that there is help. You can tell them there is an answer. Preacher, I couldn't do that. Oh, sure you could. Sure you could. We had three first-year counselors up at camp. And all three of them led, led young people to the Lord. This. You say, preacher, how'd you teach them to do that? I didn't. I taught them to take a Bible and show them what Christ had done for them. Funny thing about it, you know, it may take a little while to memorize the Romans road, but if you've truly been born again, you can raise your hand like Paul did and say, you know, one time I was on the road to Damascus. And, I, and I'm all for the Romans Road, friend. I'm all for, I, you know, any kind of helps we've got that'll, that'll help people to give the Word of God out. But I think we've underestimated and underemphasized the impact of a testimony. Because they can tell you they don't believe that Bible, but most people won't tell you that they don't believe you. And we find that Paul, probably the greatest doctrinal preacher in the history of the church, when he led men, women, and boys and girls to Jesus Christ, He'd raise that hand and say, you know, I was on the road to Damascus one day. A light shined from heaven. God knocked me off the high horse of my self-righteousness, blinded my sin-sick eyes, and made me aware of my need of Calvary. That's what Paul said. And so, preacher, are, are you against Romans? No, I'm for it, neighbor. There ain't a single verse in that King James Bible that I'm not for. I'm for every bit of it. And I believe faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But I believe we have underemphasized testimonial soul winning in the day that we live in. We find that every single person in the New Testament, I was telling the young people this yesterday, every single person that got saved in the New Testament, somebody told them about Christ. Did you know that? Find me one where it didn't have you say, oh, preacher, well, uh, you know, Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened. Yeah, Paul was at the prayer meeting, though. Did you notice that? 
who you think it was. You say, oh, well, preacher, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, you know, so the Lord was dealing with him as he rode in his carriage. Wonder where he got that copy of Isaiah 53. The way men, women, boys and girls come to know Christ is by people telling them of a great and magnificent Savior that can make a difference in their lives. Preacher, you as a 10-year-old boy. Yeah, but somebody had told me the gospel. Somebody had told me the gospel. But the truth is, in this word of hopelessness, we find that the final word in hopelessness for the lost sinner is to have to say, we are not saved. But do you know that there are saints that are living in this world, and they're saved by the grace of God when it comes to their soul's salvation. They've been washed in the blood of Christ, eternally saved by the grace of God, and hallelujah for that. But do you know that there's a lot of them that are living defeated Christian lives? And when it comes to their Christian life, they'd have to say, the harvest is past. Couldn't find any help in myself. The summer has ended. All the help I tried to find from, hey, all the TV preachers and their books that they sell, they couldn't help me. Come on now. We all right? All, all the all the charismatic TV preachers that Baptists fall in love with, all them, they couldn't help me. They couldn't give me victory. All, all of the All the denominationalism in the world, it couldn't give me the victory. And even all the encouragement I got from fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it couldn't give me the victory. And I'm living a defeated life, and they'd have to say, we are not saved. We see a word of hopelessness, but we see a word of hurting. Look at verse number 21 and read it carefully with me. I believe this is the mind of the Lord on this matter. People could debate about that, and they could argue. You may not feel that way, and if you don't, I'll meet you in the parking lot. We can fist fight like good Baptists later. But right now I'm preaching, so I'm going to preach it the way the Lord showed it to me. Verse 21 says, For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black. Astonishment hath taken hold on me. I believe we have the mind of God in verse number 21. And we see a word of hurting. The first thing that he says is, is, is for the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. That word hurt signifies a breach and it signifies brokenness. Do you know that God has a broken heart when we don't get the help that we need? Do you know God hurts for you when you hurt? Oh, what a Savior we have. Oh, what a God we have. That in His eternal heart, He would hurt when we hurt. It grieves God that we won't come for him, to Him for the help we need. It grieves God when we hurt. You say, why did Jesus weep in John 30, uh, 11, 35? He wept because they wept. He didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. He's getting ready to raise him from the dead. He didn't weep because there's a funeral going on. He wept because they wept. And we have a sympathetic and empathetic Savior that grieves when we grieve. He's borne our sins, but He's borne our sorrows. And it grieves God. We see brokenness. We see blackness. You say, what is, what is blackness? Is that an ethnic thing? No. But that signified whenever in the Old Testament people would in a grieved and repentant attitude, they would cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. The ashes would produce a, a gray and black look all over their body. And it signified not only inward mourning, but outward mourning. Do you know that it affects others around us when we don't come to the Lord for the help we need. It affects others around us. Do you know, listen, I, and I know I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, you know, nose hound anybody out here. I'm not here to preach on sin in the camp this morning. But do you know that when we grieve the Holy Spirit, it affects the lives of others? 
it affects the lives of others. And a defeated Christian life can lead others into defeat. We see brokenness, we see blackness, but we see bewilderment. He said, I am astonished. I am astonished. It bewilders the heart of God that He would span time and eternity, heaven and hell, sin and grace, to provide for us the help we need. And we'd turn away from His help. You know what He said? You know what Christ said? John chapter number 5. He said, You will not come unto Me that you might not be, that you might be saved. You will not. You know why sinners don't get saved? Listen carefully. Sinners don't get saved because they don't want to be saved most of the time. There's some of them that have a heart's cry and they want to know God. But I found that God usually will send somebody by their way. The vast majority of people that die without Christ do so because they don't want the Savior. They don't think they need a Savior because they don't really believe they are a sinner. I'll tell you the problem. Uh, people, when they say they are a sinner, they don't mean they are an, a, a complete sinner. They mean they are a comparative sinner. So what do you mean, preacher? They say, well, I'm worse than this guy, but I'm better than this guy. Comparing themselves among themselves, they become unwise. Say, I, I know, preacher, I'm not as good as you or as good another preacher. <laughs> And don't buy that line for one second. Preachers are flesh and blood themselves. But you see, they think that way. You know why the sinner thinks that way? Because they're getting ready to say, but I'm better than that guy. We kind of think that hell is there for the Jeffrey Dahmers and the Adolf Hitlers and the Ted Bundys of the world. We kind of think that hell is there for the terrorists. We think that hell is there for those two young men that took bombs and blew up the Boston Marathon. But let me tell you something, neighbor. God didn't intend for you to die and go to hell. He doesn't want you to die and go to hell. Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. But the people that are going to be in hell are those that have rejected Christ, not those that have sinned in a big way. That's who's going to be in hell. And it bewilders God that he'd do all he could do. So I just don't believe in God. That, oh, boy, don't you hear people saying this? I don't know. Maybe we're just unkind when we say this. But, you know, this is how I always hear it. I always hear people saying, well, I just don't believe in a God that'd send somebody to hell. I don't either. I believe in a God that loved people enough to send his son to die on a rugged cross for it. I believe in a God that loved them enough that even when they were sin-sick and enemies of God, God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of God that I believe in. But I believe in people that'll be so stubborn and bullheaded that even after all God's done for them, they won't even allow their self to be broken. They won't even admit themselves a sinner. And they won't even come to a Savior to save them. I believe in people like that. Because I see it every day. We see a word of hopelessness. We, we see a word of hurting. Oh, but aren't you thankful for verse 22? Verse 22, we see a word of help. Aren't you thankful there's help this morning? Aren't you thankful for the sinner there's help at Calvary? Aren't you thankful for the saint that there's help through the work of the Holy Ghost? Aren't you thankful that even though we can't do it, he can? Aren't you thankful that even though we're insufficient, that Christ is our sufficiency today? We see that there is a word of help. Look what it says in verse 22. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? We see first off that this is an inquisition. God inquires something. 
He said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there not a physician there? Why then is not the health of my daughter's people recovered? He asks a simple question. Is there a way out? Is there a way out? Man's been asking that question just about since the beginning of time. Is there a way out? Is there a place of help? Is there a place where we can get what we need? The sinner looks for it in philosophy and does not find it there. The sinner looks for it in science and academia and does not find it there. The sinner looks for it in the satisfaction of the lust of the flesh, but does not find it there. The sinner looks for it in cold, dead uh, ecclesiastical religion and denominationalism and does not find it there. You know why? Because that's not where it's at. The sinner looks for it in his own good works, but it's not found there. The sinner looks for it in baptism, but it's not found there. And I'm sure there's some in this world that finally get to the place where they say, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no answer to the heart's cry? Is there no answer to the problem of sin? Is there no answer to the sorrow of the soul? And God asks this same question. He says, is there, is there an answer? Is there a medicine? Is there a physician? And there's an implication. There's an implication. We see an inquisition. We see an implication. And that's that there is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. There is a place of help. There is a place of comfort. If you're here without Christ, there is a place of salvation. If you're here and you're saved but discouraged and defeated, there is a place of uplifting and strength. There is. There is. There is a place. Where God can meet with you. We see an implication here. I like this. I got to study in this. I don't read commentators a lot. Sometimes they give you something though, Ralph, that you wouldn't have had any otherwise. I got thinking about why Gilead? Why the balm of Gilead? What was so significant about Gilead? There was a place there in Israel in the northern area. If my, if my maps are straight, my, my, my science teacher might have to give me a lesson on that later. I don't know, but. Why Gilead? Well, if you read historically, Gilead was a place where there was a balm found. And in fact, historically, Gilead was known for the balm that they produced. They known all over the world. People would come and, and Gilead uh, salesmen would take the balm of Gilead and they would take... To, oh, 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 think about that. Salesmen would take the balm of Gilead and go all over the world with its healing properties. God help us to take the balm of Gilead all over the world with its healing properties. But they go all over the world and they take this balm. And I got to thinking one day, wonder reckon how they made that balm, how they made medicine. I'm not, I, I can barely boil water, so you don't need to ask me. I don't know how you go about it, but I got to reading and them commentators, they, they're kind of smart fellers one day, you know, sometimes and they write a lot of interesting things and you don't have to believe this if you don't want, but, but I found out that this balm was a, a kind of a rosin type thing. It was kind of a gummy type, but it was thin, Ralph. It was thin. It was, you, you might almost look at it like syrup, like, like kind of a syrup. And you know what I found? I found that the way that they got the ingredients to make that balm of Gilead, you know how they had to do it? They'd have to take, how many of y'all know what a spile is? They'd have to take and they'd go to the trees. They'd go to the trees that this balm came from. And if they pierced the tree, the balm would come forth. They didn't have to drill it out. If they just put a hole in that tree, then all of a sudden that balm would just begin to run out of it. 
You say, preacher, what does that mean to me? Oh, I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago, they put a tree up and they hung my Savior on it and they nailed Him to a cross. And ever since, the balm has been coming forth. I'm thankful when they laid Him on that cross and they took that hammer and they took that nails. You say, where did those things come from? They, they, they come from us. <laughs> that was our sin that put them on the cross. It was our iniquity that put them on the cross. And they laid His hands across those beams and they began to drive those nails into His hands. And all of a sudden, a fountain came forth drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. There's a balm in Gilead this morning. There's a balm in Gilead this morning. Drawn from a pierced tree. Drawn from a pierced hand. Drawn from a pierced side. Drawn from a pierced Savior this morning. There is a bone. There is an answer. There is a hope. And there is a help this morning. Yeah. <laughs> we see the bone, but aren't you thankful? Medicine don't do anybody any good if there ain't someone to apply it. Not enough that the, that the tree was pierced. Not enough that the body was broken. Not enough that the tomb was closed. But on the third day, hallelujah, the stone was rolled away and the great physician got up. <laughs> the great physician got up. The comforter came with healing in his wings. And there's one there to apply that balm this morning. It's not just that there's a price that's been paid, but there's an account opened in your name if you'll claim it. It's not just that there's a medicine given, but there's a physician to apply it. It's not just that a Savior died, but that a Savior rose and He's alive today to save you from your sins. If you're saved by God's grace, He's alive and He ever liveth to make intercession for you, to hear your hurts, to hear your sorrows, to hear your pains this morning. There is a great physician that lives, that intercedes for you and me. Not just that there's a balm, but there's a doctor. Not just that there's an answer. But there's someone to apply it. We see that there's an implication. You know, I think there's a final thing and I'm going to hush. We see an inquisition. God asks the question. Is there no balm? Is there no physician? Why are they not healed? The implication is that there is an answer. And I believe implied too, we see an invitation. An invitation. God makes that known. You know why? So sinners can come to Calvary. So saints can come to the foot of the cross to find the help that they need. You may be here today lost and undone without Christ. And you may think, preacher, it's too late. There's no hope for me. Can I tell you that there's a great physician that's living today? There's a Savior that's alive today that loves you. Whose heart's desire. Isn't that right? Not willing that any should perish. Whose heart's desire is that you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just that you'd know of Him, but that you'd know Him. Not just that you'd meet with uh, someone that could tell you about Him, but that you'd meet with Him. I'm not interested, neighbor, in you meeting me. I mean, I love each and every one of you. I love shake hands with you and meet you. That's great. But you can meet me and split hell wide open. But if you meet Him, He'll change your life. He'll save you by His grace. He'll make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. There's a physician, neighbor. There's a, there's a doctor. The doctor is in. <laughs> the doctor is in. And He's ready to save this morning. And if you're discouraged, He's ready to strengthen you this morning. The implication is that He can save. And the invitation is that He will save you this morning.
And if you're already saved, but you just need a touch from heaven. Is that okay that I say that? I know that might be a little stiffy, for, uh, a little uh, stuffy for some people, a little stiff. But can I tell you uh, that you need a touch of heaven this morning? You need God to meet with you and speak to you. And you need to surrender your heart to Him. And He'll give you the strength you need this morning. Hallelujah for a balm in Gilead. Hallelujah for a living Savior to bind up our wounds and heal our broken hearts. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, the altar's open. Our young people this week would come when the altar opened. I encourage you to do the same thing. You don't have to wait till a, a note is played. You don't have to wait until you're invited. You're invited by the Lord. So I want you to come this morning. If God's spoken to your heart, would you slip out of your seat and make your way down, begin to pray and get the help from the Lord that you need this morning?